Today's passage comes from Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 1 through 14. Israel, Israel, Israel's continuing rebellion. In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them were cast away with None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made them known to them, made them made known to them my rules, by which, if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths a sign, as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which, if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I had brought them out. This is the word of the Lord. Can you hear me? Yes, all right, fantastic. Uh, thank you for having me again. My name is Peter. Thank you, Gene, for reading the scripture, and thank you, approachable Pastor John, for introducing me today. Um, I do know many of you, but for the sake of those of you who have, are looking at me or seeing me for the first time, uh, my name is Peter. Um, I did, for a very long time, you know, grow up in KCQ, went to NCF uh, with my family, uh, but lo and behold, uh, New Jersey called us, uh, so now we live over the bridge. Sorry, it's better over there, but that's a, that's a conversation for a different time. I'm just kidding, man. That's cool. I like New York. I love New York, too. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I... So today's text, I, I ran across today's text um, in the midst of uh, doing a devotional, and I'll confess that even though, you know, seminary, ministry, all that stuff aside, I'll confess, I, I, I set aside, a time aside in my, in my day to, to read through the scriptures and to pray, and I'll say that if I can catalog like 2019 for the vast majority of the time, I'm, I'm really doing it really mechanically, I don't feel particularly spiritual when I pray or when I read. Um, it's been especially true these days for some reason. I feel like in a spiritual sense, I'm going through this dry spell. Um, but this passage came up, um, it's the full chapter, came up uh, during my devotional time. I never expected that I would preach out of the book of Ezekiel, but for some reason, by God's grace, in his spirit, this text hit me 
in a strange way. It was an amazing moment of grace for me, um, so I'd like to share it with you. Ezekiel is a strange book. You read chapter 1, and like Ezekiel's trying to describe these visions that he sees, and really what I do is I read the description really quickly, and I go on Google, and I type Ezekiel chapter 1, and I click on images to get an artist's renditioning of what's going on. It's crazy. It's like some of this stuff is like out of a sci-fi movie. Right? But in today's text, right, this is in the midst of Ezekiel pronouncing judgment, explaining to Israel what's going on in the context of history. Um, I hope with this text that it can serve as sort of a, a, a diagnostic for our hearts, because right? that's how it hit me. Right? I hope it can serve as a diagnostic for our hearts. I hope that as we look through this text, we can ask ourselves, how does God fit into our lives? Right? Do we even care that God fits into our lives? Or how do we regard God in our lives? And I hope this should be a very relevant topic for each and every individual here because one thing I know is that it's raining cats and dogs outside, but we all decide to show up for church. So obviously something about God, something about spirituality, something about connecting with the divine must be on our minds at the very least as we gather here for worship today. So whether you've been coming for a while or whether someone dragged you or whether you're genuinely curious about the faith, I hope that our text today can serve as a diagnostic, as a way to examine how do we regard our relationship with God. All right, so our text in verse 1 of chapter 20 starts with the certain elders of Israel coming to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, of course, is a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks to the people on behalf of God. They come to Ezekiel to inquire of the Lord. Right? It's a strange verb. I don't use that word every day, inquire. Inquire just means to seek. Right? They go to Ezekiel to get some sort of oracle from him, something about like what's going on, what might happen in the future. And certainly for me, you know, I wish that in contemporary life, maybe my <laughs> devotionals wouldn't be as dry if there were actual people like Ezekiel in the present day, right? Where you can ask a specific question and get a specific divine answer from God. Um, I had my maternal grandmother. She was a, a fierce woman of prayer. Uh, she passed away not too long ago, and uh, may she... Rest in peace, I'm sure she's in heaven looking down at me right now. I hope she's praying for me because whatever. But um, I, she, used to, you know, like she used to pray a lot, and um, she used to have these, uh, you know, my mom would tell me she would, in Korea, she would go up to these mountains. And in these mountains, there used to be these people, shaman-like, Christian shamans, that you can consult, and apparently they heard from the Lord, and you could ask them a question, and they'd give you an answer from God. Right, so I remember when I was single, just a little side story just to kind of lighten the mood up a little bit. I remember when I was a, a single guy, uh, my parents would make me go on these setup dates, you know, because they were afraid. I was like turning 30 and they were afraid I wasn't going to get married or something. They made me go on these setup dates and she'd set me up with somebody and then she'd call my grandma and she'd tell my grandma to ask one of these mountain people whether or not this person that I'm about to see tonight is the one, right? And I will say a few times she said no. But one time she said, yes, this is the one, right? And I'm here proudly saying, I'm here standing here proudly saying that I did not listen to the voice of the Lord at that time. I'm happily married to Jessica, right? But I'm just saying, my point is, it would be nice to have Ezekiel-like people 
in the present day, right? But lucky for these elders, they did. These are elders. They're inquiring of the Lord. And that's how our text starts. And also another thing about our text is it gives us a date, right? And I think the date is important because it helps us orient why these elders were coming to Ezekiel in the first place, right? It says in the seventh year, in the fifth month, in the tenth day of the month, right? And um, scholars estimate this is around 591 B.C., in the month of August, right? And if you know a little bit about biblical history, at that time, Babylon was the superpower of the day. It was the world's largest empire. Judah, remember Israel and Judah had already split. This is generations later. Judah is this tiny nation state. And because Babylon was the big power at the time, Judah was forced to pay these excessive taxes to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Right? But just a few years before 591, the king of Judah at the time, Jehoiachin, decided he was going to rebel against Babylon. He said, I had enough of these taxes. I don't want to pay anymore. So he tried to make this alliance with the king of Egypt. The king of Babylon heard about it, did not like it, obviously, and came and crushed Judah. All right? So what they do, this is a Babylonian model of how they take over your country. Right? They come into your land. They take your kings. They take your leaders. And they forced them into Babylonia. That's the capital of Babylon. This is their exile model, right? And what they do is, and the idea is to bring the best people, the most talented people, the most gifted people to the center and contribute to the empire's prosperity. Right? We had our confession of faith in the book of Daniel. Daniel is an example of someone who was exiled while Nebuchadnezzar was king. Right? He was serving Nebuchadnezzar as a Jew right? in Babylonia, right? So these elders and Ezekiel and the former king of Judah, they've been exiled and now they're in Babylon and now they're far away from home, right? And they want to know what's going on. Why is all this happening to us, right? So they're coming to Ezekiel. They know he's a prophet. They know he's got this special connection with God, right? And they come to inquire of the Lord. In verse 3, the Lord comes to Ezekiel. It's the son of man. Speak to the elders of Israel. They're coming to you to inquire of you and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Uh, These guys are just coming to God with a prayer request. And God's response is to judge them. It seems that odds with the kind of God we might have heard about, a God of love, an approachable God, like Pastor John, right? An approachable God, a God of grace, right? And to make a long story short, and it's clearer in the rest of the text, right? The reason why these Jews are in exile in the first place, right? The reason why they're far away from home, the reason why God allowed the king of Babylon, to come and really take Judah over, right? Is that there's something fundamentally wrong with how they've been relating to God in their lives. There's something fundamentally wrong with the way they regard God in their lives. God is saying what you're feeling now, what you're experiencing now, are the consequences of what life would be like as long as, you're, as, long as you continue to regard me the way you do. If you continue this way, this is how life will be for you. All right, so what was wrong with the way the Israelites at the time regarded 
their God. All right, and in verses 3 through 8, God brings them back, way back, to the time of the Exodus. Right? And if you remember from the book of Exodus, right, the Israelites were under a systematic, oppressive slavery in the land of Egypt. But one day, God heard their cries. He made a promise to Abraham. Right? And these were Abraham's descendants. He made a promise to Abraham. He heard their cries. And God would raise up Moses. And through literal divine intervention, right, God would free them. And he'd lead them towards a path on a land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Right? And so this is God telling the Israelites of Ezekiel's time about how it was in the book of Exodus. In verses 3 through 8, he's essentially saying the, the reason you guys exist as a nation today is that generations ago, I made myself known to your fathers. Right? Back in the day, I could have left them in their state of slavery. I could have left them in their state of injustice. I could have left them in their state of poverty. Right? For generation after generation until they just kind of died away. And if any of you guys are into economics, uh, there's this idea called the cycle of poverty. And um, this is from Wikipedia. I'm not that smart. I just copied and pasted it right here. Let me read it for you because this sounds smarter than what I could ever say. Right? This poverty, once started, is likely to continue unless there's outside intervention. Right? So once you're born into poverty, unless there's someone that really intervenes and tries to pull you out, you're more than likely to kind of stay in that perpetual cycle. This is a cycle that the Israelites were doomed in, into as slaves in the land of Egypt. God's saying, I could have left you there, but I didn't. I didn't. I chose you to represent my name. I revealed myself to you. While you were in rags, I intervened, divinely intervened, against the most powerful civilization in the world at the time and brought you out of poverty, brought you out of slavery, I searched out for you, not a land of thorns and thistles, like not, a, not a desert, but a land flowing with milk and honey. I guess they loved breakfast cereals back then. Milk and honey, a glorious land, right? a land that you can call home, a place where you're truly free. I made a nation out of you. Right? So in a very real way, your value your sense of worth, the reason why you exist to begin with before there was an exile was because of me. Should not your very identity as a people be wrapped up in who I am? Why are you bowing down to these idols, to these detestable things? Shouldn't you be worshiping me? But we see what happens in verse 8. But they rebelled against me. And they were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away their detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Right? And you read on the rest of the chapter, and he talks about how cycle after cycle, generation after generation, it's the same pattern over and over again. Right? God's saying, put away the detestable things. Put away the idols. But their children and their children's children, generation after generation after generation, is just idolatry and idolatry, right? These people are drawn to idols. Now, of course, that might be strange to us, right? But idols, of course, you know, they're probably like statues or big poles, 
something that represents a deity that they would worship and bow down to, right? But idols, they're never about the statue itself. Right? And a lot of you guys probably know this already, right? Idols in the Old Testament represented things that when you bowed down to them, the belief was that this idol would give you a great harvest of crops, for example. Or if you bow down to a different kind of idol, they'd give you an abundance of children. Right? And in the agrarian society that the Israelites lived in, right, if you had an abundance of crops, if you had a bunch of children, that was everything. Right? Back then, this would give you a sense of comfort, a sense of peace, status. You had approval from the community. Right? You could hold your head up high right? and say, I am somebody. Right? If you had these things. Now, I want all of us to consider what the alternative might be if the Israelites did not follow idols? What what might the alternative be? How about trusting in God for our daily bread? Trusting in God for our daily bread. That can sound a little risky. But bow down to this idol and have a stockpile of crops? That sounds safe. Or how about finding your sense of worth in the acceptance that you have with God because of what Jesus has done for you. Sounds exciting. Sounds okay, right? But how about having people applaud you, right? Having 10,000 followers on your Instagram who instantly heart every post you put up. That sounds good. That sounds nice. That sounds like something worth pursuing, right? You might not bow down to statues, to strive after these things. But fundamentally at the core, right, are we so different? Right, Ezekiel calls these things detestable, right, because the pursuit of these things really is for our harm. It defiles us. It makes us less than human, right? So God says, even though I offer you peace, right, even though I offer you good things, marvelous things, even though I offer you true freedom." True fulfillment. Yet here's the reality. For generation after generation after generation, you rebel against me. You don't thank me. You don't worship me. You don't regard me as the Lord your God. Like when times are good, you want nothing to do with me. But now that times suck, now that things are bad, now that you're in exile, now you come to me in prayer. Now there's a quick point for us, for all of us. We all have reasons why we want to inquire of the Lord. Right? Many of us, we find ourselves at a crossroads in life. Sometimes we experience different crises. Right? This is all part of life. Times of suffering, times of questioning, why are things the way they are? And you know, when life happens, we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what path to take. We don't know what decision to make. Right? We want to pray to the Lord right? instinctually. We want to inquire of God. And certainly the Bible encourages us to do so. Right? To seek the Lord while he may be found. That's from Isaiah 55. Or cast your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Right? Paul cur- encourages us to pray without ceasing. But let's be honest. You know, even when we come before the Lord, right, a lot of times, don't we regard God a lot like the elders of Israel did back in the day, right? 
How do we know we regard God the way the elders of Israel did? Well, we can take a quick look at our prayer life. And trust me, I'm saying this to myself as well, right? Everything's fine. Everything's great. And suddenly, bam, something bad happens, right? Something that we care about is about to slip away from our fingers. Or something that we feel like we truly need is moving away from us. A crisis happens. And now, now we get on our knees. And now we're praying for God, praying to God. Because we need something from Him, right? So it's at this season, it's in these times of our life that we decide to shape up. We decide to come to church, right? And of course, you know, God uses circumstances like this in our life. God shakes us up sometimes. That's 100% true, right? But I think our text can serve as a bit of a warning to us. That over the course of our lives, if we take an honest look at our prayer life, if this is the perpetual pattern where you only come to God when you need something, right? May I ask you to, may humbly ask you to consider that's very apparent who God is in your life. It's very apparent by our actions, by our devotion, how we regard God in our lives. He is not God to you. We're not coming to God out of submission, out of reverence, out of love, or out of devotion. We're not hallowing his name like the Lord's Prayer tells us to. Right? Hallow means to regard as holy. Right? So this Thursday, is it? We're hallowing the evening by dressing up as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right? When we come to God, just when we need something, we're, we're treating him like a divine task rabbit. Right? We're treating him like a, a magic genie. Right? And as long as you're okay with God kind of staying around you, God kind of being on call, available when you need him, right? may, may I humbly suggest again that trajectory of your spiritual life, it sounds very familiar, very similar to what the elders of Israel were experiencing in the exile back then. And so, if if all this happened, this whole exile, this whole experience of of God's wrath happened as a result of how the elders regarded God, how do we correctly regard God in our lives? Let's look at uh, verse 7. Verse 11, I'm sorry. It says, I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Right? Look at that verse, right? We see it right there. There's, you follow the law and there's life. Now, let's not misunderstand what Ezekiel is saying here. I'm sure Ezekiel is a good, reformed Calvinist prophet, right? I don't think he's suggesting that we can somehow merit God's salvation by following the law, right? Doing the law is not the, the means to salvation. But if you read our text carefully, right, Ezekiel says what every pastor and what every theologian that's worth their salt has already said for a very long time, that the law of God, the law of Moses, was given after the exodus happened. Right? So first God liberates them, then he gives them the law. Right? Paul points out this pattern in Galatians when he talks about Abraham. Right? God calls Abraham and then he gives him the sign of circumcision. I don't think Ezekiel is suggesting that the law is a means to curry God's favor. The law is not the means to get 
salvation. But I find it interesting, right, that of all the laws that he highlights, you go to verse 12, he chooses to emphasize the Sabbath. Right? So verse 12, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Now today I knew I was going to talk about Sabbath a little bit. I don't know, Pastor John, how many times you normally mention Sabbath during the course of the order of worship, but I noticed Pastor John says Sabbath quite a lot. Right? What is, what is Sabbath? What is Sabbath? Sabbath means to cease. It means to stop. But the Sabbath is also, what? It's one of the commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's in the law, right? You've got to observe the Sabbath, right? And now by the time Jesus came to the earth, right, religious leaders had put all these restrictions, all these parameters on what it means to truly observe the Sabbath. Right? So instead of being a day of rest, being a day when you cease from your labors, it started to feel like an oppressive law. Right, there's this episode in uh, Mark chapter 3, one, uh, one Sabbath, uh, Jesus sees this man with a withered hand, right? and all the Pharisees and all the teachers of the law are watching. Right? Withered hand guy comes in, Jesus is there in the synagogue, and it's a Sabbath. Right? And we know that you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. Right? Healing is considered a work. You're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. They're all watching to see whether or not Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. Right? And Jesus asks, right, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do, God, to do good or to do harm, to save or to kill? Right? And so at that moment, he heals them. And all the Pharisees start to grumble, oh, this guy just violated the Sabbath. This guy just violated the Sabbath. Right? And Jesus had just said, you know what? This is not the purpose of the Sabbath, to be an oppressive thing. The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath is there for your benefit. It is grace. It is there to give you life. You know, ever wonder why God calls us to worship and why we gather at church on the Sabbath, right? Of course, Sabbath for us Christians, it's on Sunday, right? You can ask Pastor John or Pastor James the details of why that happened. It was normally Saturday back then, but we observe it on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, on the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Ever wonder why we worship him on the Sabbath, on the day of rest? Right? It's because God's acceptance of us has nothing to do with our work. God's acceptance of us has nothing to do with our productivity. God's acceptance of us has nothing to do with how much we've worked for, like the status that we achieve. It has nothing to do with the metrics that we use in our own lives to set ourselves apart from everybody else. God's acceptance of us happens when we cease, when we come as we are. You know, the Israelites could have died as slaves in the Egyptian desert in Exodus. And in many ways, there's a parallel to our own lives here on earth. Right? God could have left us to die on earth like every other creature in the world. Like, like our text says, he could have poured out his wrath and made a full end of us. Right? And let me remind you, as I need to remind myself, I just turned 42 a couple of weeks ago. I can't believe it. I just, did I say my age? I'm like, <laughs> right? I'm past midlife. I'm very aware that death is a certainty. Right? When you're younger, you don't really think about it much. But I'm being 
woefully reminded of the fact that death is a certainty for all of us, that it's just a matter of time, right? And what's the reality of our existence? That apart from God, right? It's like that song says, you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals, right? Doomed to die, doomed to be part of that ecosystem. Yet, for the sake of his name, for the sake of his name, For the sake of God's name, what does he say in Ephesians chapter 1? He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. He chose us in him. God's saying, I could have left you there, but I didn't. I chose you to represent my name. I revealed myself to you. I humbled myself and I came down on the earth and I died on the cross to accomplish the ministry of reconciliation necessary to connect you with God. I am the reason why you have breath. I am the reason why you have life. I am the reason why you have every good and perfect gift in this world. And though you might die physically in this world, in my house there are many rooms. And you know what? I go there to prepare a place for you. A place where you are free. Why are you turning to idols? Why are you turning to detestable things? Am I not the one you should be worshiping? Am I not the one that should be the object of your obsession, of your utmost affection. The Sabbath is there because we approach Him at a state of rest when we cease. And maybe there's something about that to the rest of the law of God. It's not an oppressive thing that's over us as a means to salvation. But what does Ezekiel say? In doing it, in doing it, maybe we experience the wisdom the fullness of God. It's a sign. It's a fruit that we have been accepted. Yesterday, another mechanical devotion, but a great and relevant verse, James chapter 1, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's close up. How do we correctly regard God in our lives? We come to him as we are now in a state of rest. Not just when we need something from him. We come to him as we are. And we confess that like the Israelites, we who are doomed to die, we're so grateful and we worship you for giving us life. Life here on earth and a life here in the world to come. And I want to challenge you as we close up, right? If this has been your pattern, right, where you come to God only in times of crises, only in times of need, I want to challenge you six minutes, six minutes. Can you spend six minutes a day, right? I think there's this thing called six-minute abs, right? If you can build up abs and get in shape in six minutes a day, I think you can spare six minutes a day Right? Spending time with the Lord. Start today. Six minutes. Right? And here's my challenge. Don't come to him with your prayer requests. 
Don't come to him with your need. Right? You, you could do that after your six minutes are over. And in, the, in the beginning, six minutes is going to feel like such a long time. But I guarantee you, as you get into the habit of it, it flies by just like this. Six minutes. And I challenge you, read the prologue to the book of John and just meditate on it. Hallow his name. Do what the Lord's Prayer says. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just spend time there. Soak it in. Make it a daily habit. And see how fit you are spiritually as time goes on. I'm telling you, it's the incremental changes that determine the trajectory of your life. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word you give us today um, through your servant, Ezekiel. God, these elders of Israel were inquiring of you, no doubt in a state of crisis as they were in exile, as Babylon came and, and took the first wave of, of people away, took the king away, took the elders away, took some prophets away. And God, they're coming to you because they need something. And God, we confess that many of us here, we come to you only when we need something. Only when stuff starts to hit the fan. When things don't go our way. Father in heaven, I pray that you give us the grace to want to connect with you. Not when we need something, but God, to truly hallow your name. Open our eyes to see the reality of what's going on. God, that we live in you and we move in you and we have our being in you. We have breath and we have life because of you. And we have salvation because you've intervened in our lives and you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price to accomplish the ministry of reconciliation. In his resurrection, we have physical evidence that one day we will rise again and we will see you face to face. For a God who blesses us and gives us so much grace, who compels us to come to you in a state of rest, not after we've accomplished everything, but in a state of rest, Father, would we not want to worship you? Would we not want to give our entire Sells you, give us the grace. Six minutes for some of us here who have never done before, I pray. Six minutes of grace, of staying in your word, of hallowing your name. I pray for that incremental change that you accomplish through your spirit to happen for real in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.